Hey, I have, uh, I have two more of these to give away here tonight, and this is how we're going to do this tonight. Uh, first of all, I'm going to slip one to this guy here, who never wins anything. Okay, all right. <laughs> and then um, over to my son's birthday, so let's have all teenage guys stand up. All teenage guys stand up. Okay. And uh, let, me, let me just park while you guys are up. Guys, live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is absolutely worth it. Man, don't let anybody tell you to back off on Jesus Christ. Back down on Jesus Christ. Turn on Jesus Christ. It is tough, but let me tell you, it is absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. And uh, stay, stay true to that, guys. Stay true to that. He's been, he's been true to you. And there's nothing greater you can do than live for him. Nothing greater you can do for live for him. Now, if your parents need a book on their marriage, this is how you can help them, okay? <laughs> My son's birthday is December 9th. Luke, you can take a seat because you were born on December 9th, okay? If you're born in December, okay, stay up. December, it's December 9th? What day? 20th, 11 days away. The 12th, you're three days away. Love you, brother, but this guy gets it, okay? All right, there you are. That's for mom and dad there. The clap of envy. I wanted it so bad. It's all right. All right, I don't know if you came to camp looking for a sign from God, but I, I found some signs on the Internet that might help you out here, okay? So uh, here we go. First of all, um, if you want to get a hold of Lori or I, th I'm, I'm telling you, this is the best way to get a hold of us. If we can be a help to you with anything. Um, it, it, I know it's email. I know that's old. Uh, but guess what I am. Uh, okay, all right. Um, so my email address is campout at yahoo.com with a K, because my last name is Tebencamp with a K. And then uh, ladies, uh, Lori's is LDTS home. Uh, at yahoo.com. And so we set those email accounts up just after Al Gore invented the internet. Um, and, um, and so we haven't diverted from them. So if those can be a help to you, if we can be a help to you, shoot us an email and we will try to get a hold of you and help you out the best way we can. All right, I promised you some signs uh, on camp here. So here we go, okay? Uh, parking for drive through service only. So Okay, driving and parking. All right, let's keep moving here, okay? Uh, phone out of service, give us a call. All right, start to bub. Yeah, yeah. okay, we had another one of those. Same guys who did the school sign. Um, puppies, 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 parking for Chinese customers. All right, slow children, no hunting them. All right, my boss told me to change the stupid sign, so it did. <laughs> Dead end. <laughs> Got that one right. Uh, bridge out, open to local traffic only. <laughs> Killing off the locals. Okay, uh, all right, here we go. Um, not my job. <laughs> I'm just here to paint. I'm just painting. <laughs> Visit Las Vegas, come pick a winner. And he is picking a winner right there. 
She is picking one, yep. Uh, Pecani sauce for babies. <laughs> Woo! Okay, watch for ice. Uh, here it says at the bottom there, secret nuclear bunker. It's on the sign, people. It's not, it's not a secret anymore. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help kill you. Lodging next right, state prison. Okay, uh, a few more here. Road is going left. You better keep right. 202 and 35 are that way. It's a one-way street. I, some of you guys are like, I'm taking it anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, entrance only, do not enter. McDonald's drive through Hitchhikers may be escaping inmates with guns. Judging by the sign. Slow down or die? Those are your options. Uh, undercover agents on property. They've been here at camp all week. And then this is my favorite one, apples. I'm pretty sure those are pumpkins. You're not making me pie. Okay. Well, we do have something to say from God's word here tonight, and I want to take us to Joshua chapter 9 here tonight. I know we're skipping a couple chapters there. But um, this is the fulcrum of the entire book of Joshua. As a pastor, you uh, go through different chapters of your pastoral ministry, and I still remember the day when Pastor Duke Crawford pulled me to his office and he said, it's time for your ordination, so get ready. And I was like, ordination? Uh, and he's like, yeah, ordination, you're you're going to compile your, your per own doctrinal statement. We're going to send it out to a bunch of pastors. And then you're going to stand up in front of a bunch of people. And you're going to answer questions about your doctrinal statement. And then church is going to vote uh, to ordain you. And it's going to be a good thing for you. You need to do this. You've been in ministry long enough. It's time to move to the next stage. Uh, you need to do this. And I was like, all right, let's, let's, let's go. And ordination went fine. I passed, barely. Um, and... Uh, and got through that, and uh, some of my relatives sent me gifts. And my aunt uh, was a school teacher, and she has since uh, graduated to glory now. But she sent me a book for my ordination graduation. And the book was entitled No David. <laughs> and it's by David Shannon. And listen, David Shannon and I shared the exact same childhood, okay? <laughs> Because this is how this book goes. I'm going to give it to you in rapid form here, okay? It's, it's no David. David's mom always said no David, okay? It's no David, no David, no David, no David. Stop doing that with your food. No David. Go to your room, David. No David. Stop that this instant. No, David. And then David asks a question at the end as he's about ready to play baseball and gets another no, David. He, gets, he says, Mom, do you love me? And the mom says, yes, David, I love you. Some deep theology in that book. I mean, some deep, <laughs> deep theology. 
Well, you know, Scripture has a lot of yeses and it has a lot of noes. Um, and Scripture is there to help us with the yeses and the noes of life. I haven't parked on this verse, but maybe it should have been a little bit of our theme verse as we went through this, this portion of the book of, of Joshua. Romans chapter 15, verse number 4 says, These things were written for our learning. These things were written for our learning. You know, we can study the Old Testament. We don't study the Old Testament so we get better at keeping the uh, Mosaic Law. But we can study the Old Testament so we can learn something. So we can learn from what they have learned and apply what they maybe did apply or didn't apply. and Because and, we serve the exact same God. I think one of the fallacies of, 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 our, our, of our practical application of our dispensational theology is we, we take the page New Testament and we flip it and we say, God changed. <laughs> but he didn't change at all. He didn't change. So serving the exact same God. And when we look at this passage here today, God gives some instructions. He's given some of those pointed instructions. Joshua and the leaders of Israel know those instructions. And yet we see something very, very sad take place in Joshua chapter 9. And it ripple effects and it has a domino effect throughout the rest of the book of Joshua right into the first part of the book of Judges. And these things were written for our learning. Now, you know where we're at here in Joshua. Joshua and the children of Israel, they've crossed the Jordan River. They have gone. They've conquered Jericho. In the in-between time here, they went up against Ai and were defeated. They came back. They dealt with the sin of Achan. And then they go back and they are able to attack Ai. And they win in victory there. And it's not the uh, wrong theology of well, if you give God Jericho, then he's going to give you Ai. They were able to plunder Ai. Um, but that's not what the principle is that the Bible's teaching us. Give God Jericho and he'll give you Ai. Um, but God is making good on his promise that he's going to provide for them. He's going to give them victory. So they conquer Ai. And a people group very, very close by in Gibeah, they recognize that they better do something, and they better do something fast. And they pull the fastest fast one on the leaders of Israel, and they do it well. And what happens here in this chapter is the Gibeonites show up with moldy bread, old clothes, old sandals, and they come to the children of Israel and they say, make a covenant of protection for us. And all the evidence looks like they've come from a far, far away distance, and they have not come from that far. They're being deceived. Now, our stone series has asked us, forced us to ask a question in each one of these times of what do these stones mean, and, and I'm far-fetching it here, I'll, I'll be honest with you, okay? Because all I got in this passage is moldy bread, which we'll say is hard as a rock. So that's how can we ask what these stones mean, okay, all right? So we'll get it that way, okay? Um, and so that's what's going to continue in this chapter here and, and bring us to this point here. If you're going to take chapter 9, uh, specifically there, uh, verses number, verse number 1 down through verse number uh, 18, you're going to put a, a statement to it. It goes something like this. The Lord wants 
his people to seek his counsel. The Lord wants his people to seek his counsel. Psalm 33, verse number one says, The counsels of the Lord stand forever, and the plans of his heart are to all generations. Psalm 73, verse number 24, The Lord uh, will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me into glory. Proverbs 11, verse number 14 Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And then 1 John chapter 2, verse number 17. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God, that's the idea of the counsel of God, what? Abides forever. Why do we need the counsel of the Lord? Why are we in desperate need of the counsel of the Lord? Because without the counsel of the Lord, we will drift from doing his will. We'll drift from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish in our lives. I need to let you know here, just as we bring up this term of God's will, that I am one who views God's will like a pinball machine. (laughs) I know that's a little bit odd, but let me explain, and then you can debate me later, okay? I I sat under a... um, a ministry that taught me that God's will was a dot to dot. And, and emphasized God's will is a dot to dot. And, and you go from point A to point B, B to C, C to D. And if you get off on one of those, you are out of God's will until you get back to that point and make it right. And I, I'm just telling you, as a, growing up in a teenage, as a teenager under a ministry like that, I, I just lived in fear that one decision that I was going to make was going to take me off the rails for forever. And as I understand Scripture, Scripture gives what is his general will, and give, God also reveals what is his specific will, will. My dad was a civil engineer. I cried in third grade when I found out my dad didn't drive a train. You know, I did. I cried. I was like, well, you don't drive a train? And he's like, no, I don't drive a train. What gave you the idea to drive a train? You're an engineer. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and people ask me, since your dad was an engineer and you're in the ministry, do you have, do you have a, a more significant calling in your life or some more significant following of God's will than your dad does? And the truth is, it's absolutely no different. I think we do ourselves an injustice by saying that, you know, we're, we're up a notch if we're in ministry. And the point is, is that we don't want to drift from God's will. God's will is revealed in a general way in many different ways in Scripture. And all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I think we are free to move all around inside of God's will and experience the full amount of his blessing. How many of you have heard the term, I'm living in the center of God's will? Have you heard that? I just maybe said it sarcastically. I'm sorry if that offended you, but how many of you, I'm in the center of God's will. Have you heard that term? Seven of you. Okay, this is going to flop. Okay, I'm, uh, but I think, I think what the Bible would teach us is there's not like, you just step up a notch as you get closer to the center, but I think we are free to roam all in where God's blessing is inside of his will. I think there's also a way to get outside of that as well. If you want a little help in that arena, Dr. John MacArthur has written a little booklet on understanding God's will. It's short. You can read it in 10 minutes. And it is a phenomenal explanation of this term, the will of God. 
And what we're saying here is that the counsel of God is needed to follow his will. And we need that because if not, we're going to drift. We're going to drift. This comes to us in three different pieces here from Joshua chapter 1. Let's look at the first piece if we can together there. It's in your notes there. Help you fill in the blanks here with the PowerPoint. The Lord offers us discernment in the face of deception. Look at chapter 9, verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 13. And it came to pass when all the children of all the kings that were on the side of Jordan and the hills and, and uh, in the lowlands and in the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and the Parasite, and you know, wait a minute, that's not in here. Okay, sorry. When they heard about it, and that's that's Jordan, Jericho, Ai, that they gathered together to fight Joshua and Israel in one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeah heard about Joshua and what had he had, what had done, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and they pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended and old and, and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal, and they said to him uh, and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, uh, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. How can we make a covenant with you? But then they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very far country your servants have come. Uh, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shiloh, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, uh, who was at Asheroth. And therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions of your, of your, for your journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. Can I just pause there for just a second? Doesn't that sound like, like the questions that were asked to the Carl Kirby videos there, you know? <laughs> How did you get something from nothing? And they, don't, they just rant on and don't answer the question, okay? They never answered Joshua's question. Where are you from? Oh, we're just, yeah, big old long story. Not, never telling them where they're from. Verse number 12. And this is our bread, ours, that we took in, of our provisions from our houses on the day that we departed to, to, to you. And now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which were filled with new wine, and see, now they are torn. And, and these are our garments and our sandals. They become old because we have come from a very long journey. Just pause right here for a second. If you could pull up a chair next to Joshua right now, you would say to him, you are being deceived. You're being deceived. You think about what's taking place here. The, the Gibeonites, they, they worked 
craftily, and they planned this charade out to the very nth degree. And they show up with old clothes, old sandals, moldy bread. They got a story behind everything. And Joshua is being completely deceived. What if Joshua went to God and said, what should we do? God would reply, you're being deceived. Folks, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Joshua doesn't go to God. He's asking all the right questions. He's looking at all the things that the Gibeonites are putting on as a show, but, but he doesn't go to God. You know, God offers discernment in the face of deception. These guys are pretending to be ambassadors. They got old sacks, old wineskins, old sandals, old garments, old bread, and it's all a big lie. I don't know if any of you have uh, had a vehicle that you've had to sell and you've tried to sell it on the internet. Just after Al Gore invented the internet, we had this 1990 Suburban that we were uh, trying to sell. And uh, I put it online to put it for sale, and all of a sudden, I started getting emails. Dear sir, I love the vehicle. I live in London, England. I will purchase the vehicle for twice as much as you're asking for it, and then if you would just ship the vehicle to me with the extra I'm going to give you, then we can make a sale take place. Now, before you crucify me and say, you are a stupid idiot, which I already know, you're not gonna tell me new news there, I replied to some of these emails. I said, this is a big beast. <laughs> this is big. <laughs> this is gonna cost a lot of money to ship. <laughs> It costs a lot of money to drive with a 454 in it and meat-eater tires. Okay. Um, and this email correspondence kept going back and forth. And I know you're going to say, David, you're an idiot. I shared my name. I shared my address. I did not share my bank account. I did not share my credit card number. I shared my wife's. But no, no I'm just kidding. I didn't share my wife's. Um, I didn't share any information that would have got me financially bankrupt, but I gave him everything else. We got phone calls. Do you remember that, sweetheart? We got phone calls. Yes, I am from, I am, I am from London, England. Call for a vehicle. You have vehicle for sale? <laughs> um, and, 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 and this kept going on. And then one day while we're living in Ankeny, Iowa, we get a FedEx package. And I open it up, and there is a brown paper sack inside. I pull the brown paper sack inside, and out slides a cashier's check from Detroit for two times as much as I've been asking for this vehicle, a guy's name on it, and I looked on the outside of the package, and the return address label was to Nigeria. And you're going to laugh, but I called the Ankeny police. 
Now, this was choice. <laughs> the Ankeny police officer comes over and says, what's going on here? I said, well, I, I, think, I think I may have sold a vehicle online, but I'm not sure if it's sold online because I got a cashier's check from a bank in Detroit, but the return address is in Nigeria. Should I cash this check or not? And he looked at me and said, why don't you just list it in the Ankeny paper and get it over with? Why are you guys selling online? You're an idiot. <laughs> and we didn't cash it. He took it. He cashed it. He got a bonus, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, he took the check. And I called my banker after this whole thing take place. And I said, I said look, did, did, I, did I overreact on this whole thing? And they said, no, this is what happens. They'll send you a check for double. And then they'll send you a request for Western Union to pay for the shipping. And then you pay for the shipping, but then you find out a few days after that that there's actually no money to the account, and you've just been outed however much you sent on Western Union. Because it didn't go to a shipping country. It went to Nigeria. And we all know enough about the Internet now that we're like, okay, David, you're the idiot. We're not. We wouldn't fall for that one at all. But, but how many things come into our world where we're on the edge of being deceived? I mean, I don't even want to ask for the raise of hands, but how many of our kids at community high schools and public high schools are being taught that your biology is what determines your gender, but it's not that your biology determines your gender anymore. Now it's whatever your mind says. Take a, run your DNA, male, female, it doesn't matter. What does your mind say that you are? That's shown as fact. That's, that's talked about as fact. We have two medical doctors in our church, and I've asked both of them, I said, look, is there anything medically that brings any credence to somebody going into the homosexual lifestyle? Anything medically, anything at all. And both of them very, very astutely have said, look, we have read journal reports, we have done all, there is nothing medical that points a person down that path. It is all a choice of the mind. And I would say biblically it's a choice of the heart. And I'm not talking about your blood pumping muscle, I'm talking about your inner person, your real you. Joshua was given his best here. He's asking all the right questions. Where are you from? He's asking all the right questions. What do you want? It's interesting. They don't really answer the question where they're from, but they're very clear on what they want. They want a covenant made with them. And here's the thing for you to know very, very pointedly. God told his people in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, make no covenant with the inhabitants of Canaan. He didn't say make a few. He didn't say you can pick or choose. He said make no covenants with them. And so what they are asking for is the direct violation to what God has commanded them to do. This is one of the, we don't even have to pray about it. We have the answer. And yet what is happening here is they're being completely deceived. Number two comes from verses 14 and 15. God not only wants us to have discernment in the face of deception, but number two, he wants us to find counsel in the face of corruption. Verses 14 and 15. So the men of Israel, that's the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Israel, they took some of their provisions 
but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. If you're a Bible underliner, just underline that phrase. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them that they would adhere to the covenant that was made. I want to tell you here, verse number 14 and 15 breaks the entire mold of the rest of the book of Joshua. I'm going to prove that to you here in just a second, but I'm just telling you, those two verses and the rest of the book entirely changes. It has been conquest and vanquish up to this point. And the rest of the book it doesn't follow through that way. And it's the leadership of Israel that makes that choice. What's interesting to me is they examine all the material evidence. They, they take their material evidence that is deceptive and they look at it. Yeah, look at this bread. It's really, really moldy. Look at these wineskins. Man, they're patched. They're leaking. And, and, and they're looking at all the material evidence and instead of seeking God's counsel, they're making their decision purely based on the material evidence. And if you don't get anything else tonight, if you get nothing else tonight, get this. The material evidence never trumps God's commands. Never trumps God's commands. We had some dear friends of ours, and they were considering a move uh, out west. And they put their house up for sale and they came to our, he came to our men's group and he said, we're gonna put our house up for sale and if it sells in three weeks, then we're gonna know it's God's will for us to move out west. And their house sold, boom, fast. Like faster than we can even explain to them that we might be interested in the house. I mean, it sold fast and they packed up and they moved way out west. And guess what, where they moved out west, they couldn't find a single Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church in their proximate area. And so they started going to an off-brand church, liberal theology. And do you want to guess what the tenure of the convictions of their sons are right now? Completely walked away from the faith. Now listen, do you want to know why their house sold in three weeks? Because it was a nice house! That's why this is a nice house. I'm, I'm not lying. Lori and I, were, we were interested in the house. We thought, hey, maybe we can move up from our 808-square-foot home that was built by the high school with crooked walls. Maybe we can move up. <laughs> our house was built by the high school, you know, and you could tell. <laughs> it was built by the high school. Like maybe we can upgrade here a little bit, but it, it, was, it was sold lickety-split, and they, and they banked everything on that. And men, we got to be careful to make sure that we take counsel from God in the decisions that we're making that are not just going to affect us, but they're going to affect our family. And I'm telling you, if you make your decisions based on the material evidence, and the material evidence alone, you could risk walking outside the commands of God. Very, very good friend of mine. Went to Iowa State University, and while he was at Iowa State University, he had a full-ride scholarship, room, book, tuition, fees, everything. 
Went to his first year at Iowa State, went to his second year at Iowa State, and he was spiritually absolutely tanked. And I remember when he came to me, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to Faith Baptist Bible College for a year and try to, try to piece my spiritual life back together. He said, will you drive me to the admissions office at Iowa State University? I, I need to unenroll, and, um, and will you drive me? And I had a 1981 Granada that could barely make it to Ames and back. But, um, and so we went up to the admissions office, and I walked in with my friend Jason into the admissions office. He walked up to the desk. He said, I need to unenroll as a student. And the lady said, well, why would you want to do that? And he said, I'm going to be going to Faith Baptist Bible College next year. And she said, well, you have a balance on your bill. We're going to have to get that settled right here and right now. You're going to have to pay your balance on your bill. And she, he said, I don't have a balance on my bill. I'm on, I'm on a full-ride scholarship. I don't, know, I don't owe the school a dime. And she looked at him and literally said to him, you are an absolute fool. We turned, we left, we walked out, we got in the car, I looked over at Jason and I said, Jason, are you sure you want to do this? And he said, drive, just drive, <laughs> just drive. And folks, there were friends of ours and people from our home church down in Kansas City who were writing Jason letters telling him, you're an absolute idiot for giving up a full ride scholarship. You're crazy for giving up a full ride scholarship. But Jason had to come to make a decision, not based on the material evidence, but based on what God wanted him to do. Now listen, that wasn't an indictment of going to state schools. But I'm just telling you, if you're going to venture into the state schools, you better have your spine put in place spiritually before you go. Because if you're going to try to get it while you're there, you're going to struggle. Because it comes at you every single corner, upside down, inside out, all the time. We had a kid in our youth ministry land in a psychology class. Second day of the psychology class, the teacher said, how many of you in this room are Bible-believing Christians? Stand up right now. 380 kids sitting in the classroom. He said about seven of them stood up. And he looked at all seven of them and he said, every single one of you are going to flunk this class. I guarantee it. And Drew came to me later and he said, the sad thing, Dave, wasn't that there were only seven that stood up. He said, the sad thing was, he said, a bunch of my other Christian friends wouldn't even stand up at the invite to name the name of Christ. It was all a threat. It was all a show. It was all just to degrade them for their faith. You have to take all the material evidence, you have to set it aside, and you have to say, what are the commands of God? You remember 1 Samuel chapter 26? David is being chased down by King Saul. King Saul has a one-track mind. Kill David at all costs. Dynasty will remain in my family. Jonathan can become king after me. And God's saying that the kingdom will go from me. I can prove God wrong if I can just kill David. One-track mind, kill David. And in chapter 26, Abishai and David sneak into Saul's tent. And Abishai says to David, let me stick him to the ground. I'm giving you the DNIV, okay, all right? I mean, that's, let me take my spear and pin him to the ground. Turn your back and look away. I'll kill him, and you can be king. 
And you guys know the account. And David's holding Abishai back and says, no, no, no. We do not lay our hand against God's anointed. He grabs a few things of Saul's and, and, they, and they leave and they go up on the hillside. Saul wakes, realizes those things are gone, steps out, sees David up on the hillside. And Saul says from his own mouth, you are more righteous than I because a man does not let his enemy live if he has the opportunity to kill him. If you were where I was, I would have killed you and now you were where you did not kill me. You one day will be king. And Saul recognizes everything he's doing is futile. But the material evidence in that moment for Abishai was, let's kill him. Let's get over with it. Let's get done with it. And David says, nope, we don't lay our hand against God's anointed. And holds him back. And I wonder how many times we don't seek the counsel of the Lord. You know, I say to my son and my daughter often, I say, Whatever God leads you to do, you have to ask yourself, what has God done in my life to lead me to do what, I, what I'm, I'm going to pursue? And if it, you can't answer that question, you need to search for what the answer to that question is. Traveling for Faith Baptist Bible College, in the years I traveled for Faith Baptist Bible College, I, I would say to kids, i say, what did God do in your life to, to, to lead you to do what you want to do? And I had one kid at a school, he's like, I'm going to be a doctor. And I said, Man, that's great. I said, what, what did God do in your life to show you that you wanted to be a doctor? And he said, nothing. I was like, well, why do you want to be a doctor? Because they make a lot of money. And I said, um, well, don't you, like, care about people, want to help people, you know? He's like, no, I just want to make money. I'm like, I don't want you doing surgery on me. <laughs> so I, I, want, I want you to care about people if you're going to be a doctor, and I'm just telling you, young people, if you can't answer that question, what did God do in my life to show me what I'm pursuing here? You need to fall back on it and answer that question again. Because God is going to lead you in his counsel if you ask for it. How different would the rest of the book of Joshua read if Joshua had just hit the pause button and said, God, what should I do? Number three, the Lord offers confidence in the face of of the crowd. Look at verse 16 through 18. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with the Gibeonites that they heard that they were neighbors who dwelt in the land. And the children of Israel journeyed and they came to the cities on the third day and now were the cities of Gibeah and Chaporah and Beeroth and uh, Kerjath, and Jerem, and, 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 but the children of Israel did not attack them. Why? Because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. You want to star something in your Bible? Star verse number 18. That's the one time when Israel complained, and it was justified. It was. Every other time I find Israel complaining, it's not justified. This time, it was justified. Why? Because the leadership could not stand before the crowd. Israel was ready to do what God was commanding them to do, vanquish the enemy. 
And they come across the hill after a three-day journey, and here's the Gibeonites, all the surrounding cities, and they are ready to attack. And they're, oh, 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 and Joshua and the men say, stop, wait, stop, stop, stop. We're actually not going to attack these cities. How come for why? In Hebrew. Uh, well, uh, they, man, <laughs> these guys are good. <laughs> they actually, we got a covenant with them to keep them alive. And um, uh, we thought they were far, far, far away. But they actually, look how close they were. Surprise. Uh, so we're just going to pass by this one. Just keep on rolling. You know, just pass by this one. And all the children of Israel are like, we can't do what God wants us to do right now because our leadership has let us down. I don't use a lot of political quotes here, but I, I love what Colin Powell says here about leadership. Leadership is solving problems. The day soldiers stop bringing their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or they concluded that you do not care. In either case, it is a failure of leadership. And listen, men, pastors, assistant pastors, who are in leadership positions in your church, your decisions that you are making, and I recognize a lot of us come from congregational rural churches, and I'm not here to start a debate on which way your polity should be inside your church. I'm just saying the decisions that you are making as leaders in your church, do not place yourself in a position that Joshua finds himself in where he has done something that's been detrimental to the whole because he did not seek God's counsel. I have several ladies in our church who are, I call my dear helpers. They are always coming to help me with something that I've done wrong. <laughs> and one of them comes to me, and I tell you, sometimes it's just an endurathon to hear what she has to say, but she came to me one time and she, says, she said, Pastor Dave, every time you're leading one of our congregational meetings and we have a decision to make, you don't pause to pray before we vote. And I turned to her and I said, I said, thank you for bringing that to my attention. You know what? You're exactly right. Before we vote, we should pray and ask for God to lead. I can take counsel like that. Why? Because it's godly counsel. And children of Israel, they're ready to do what God wanted them to do. But now what has happened? The leadership has failed them. Well, Dave, you know, so they made a covenant with the Gibeonites can't be that bad. I mean, it's just, it's just this collective group of cities. There's a lot of Canaan left. We're going to the promised land. Milk and honey. Sounds sticky. You know, everything VeggieTales taught me about it. Okay, all right? Let's just, let's just move on. I mean, how bad was it? If you can, up here on the screen, I got for you Judges chapter 2, specifically verses 10 and 11 here. Just look at it. You can mark it in your Bible later if you want to. When all that generation had gathered to their fathers, this generation, the 20 years and younger, who made it through the wilderness, came into the promise, when they died, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord nor the works that he had done. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. How did one generation pass to another generation, and how did they fall that far? I like how Bruce Wilkinson puts it in his book, um, 
The First Hand Faith. It's an old, old book. Um, uh, and this is how he puts it. First generation. They knew Joshua. They knew the Lord. It's Joshua 24, verse 16. Next generation. They just heard about Joshua, and they heard about the Lord. And the third generation comes along, and they don't know Joshua, and they don't know the Lord. And they're worshiping the Baals. You say, well, that's, that's kind of jumping a whole big chasm of Scripture there to get to that point. How bad was it in the in-between? Well, if you can, just follow these passages here. Okay? I, I, know, I know some of you have this, this map in the back of your Bible. And you look at this map in the back of your Bible and you think to yourself, look, they conquered the promised land. Look at that. And they split it all up. If you've done the Bible walkthrough. And they went in the land and they divided it between the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, and, 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 you, and you know that. And we look at that map and they're like, they got it. But if you take a look at each one of these passages, and I've just written down the key phrases from each one of these passages to try to help me out here. As I give them to you, Joshua chapter 13, verse number 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive them out, the Girgashites nor the Maconites. But the Girgashites and the Maconites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Joshua 16, verse number 10. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. Joshua 17, verse number 13. Now it happened that the children of Israel grew strong, and they did not put the Canaanites, and they forced the Canaanites into forced labor, and they did not utterly drive them out. Do you see what happened there? Started to make the Canaanites their slaves. Instead of vanquishing them as God had commanded them to do, they made them slaves as they had been slaves in Egypt. Judges chapter 1, verse number 27. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shan or the villages of Tanakh and its villages and the inhabitants of Dor and its inhabitants in the villages of Eblem and the villages and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 28. And it came past the children of Israel were strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute. So they made them slaves and they taxed them. And they did not completely drive them out of the land. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 31. And so the Asherites did not drive out the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. The ripple effect from Joshua chapter 9 through the rest of the book is that the people of Israel and the children of Israel followed the example of their leadership in chapter 9. And you do not have the children of Israel completely pushing out the inhabitants of Canaan, and what happened? The inhabitants of Canaan still influenced the Israelites. Two generations later, they're bowing to the Baals. You see, the, not, the lack of taking God's counsel, lack of going to God for counsel, changed the rest of the book of Joshua. And in our lives, we have to guard our lives in such a way that we would hit the pause button, take counsel from God so that he could lead us to stay with his, his commands. It's my prayer that we would never be found in a chapter 9, verses 14 scenario where we do not take counsel from God. That God would keep us to 
be able to have what discernment in times where Satan wants to deceive us. Counsel that's going to give us confidence. And all this matters because this life is still being lived. We're still in the here and we're still in the now. And God wants to lead us right now in the here and the now. How differently would the rest of the book of Joshua read if Joshua had simply asked counsel from God? It would be a completely different book. You may not even have had the time of the judges. And it all rose and fell on that one decision to make a covenant with the Gibeonites when they were completely being deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption. You sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit everlasting life. May God keep us in that. Father, thank you again for the time to look into your word, study your truth, and recognize that you are the God of all wisdom. And Lord, if we would turn to that, we would find help for our souls. We thank you and praise you for these things now and ask that you keep us in them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.